Welcome to episode 97 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time we're looking at Memento Mori. This is season 4, episode 14. Original air date was February 9th, 1997. The IMDb user scores were originally 8.3 out of 10. It has since risen to 8.6 out of 10. Following the 200 Days of the X-Files Fox promotion leading up to the Season 10 event. This is the episode that firmly confirms that Skelly does have cancer. It's an inoperable cancer, and it's a specific type that was suggested by the brother of co-writer Frank Spotnitz, who's a neurologist and was asked to provide a type of cancer with low odds of healing that was especially cruel, but that still allowed Scully to work for a while. I say co-written because the original plan was to have Darren Morgan provide one more episode before he left. And it was cutting very close to the wire when they realized that that wasn't going to happen. So Vince Gilligan, John Shabin, and Frank Spotnitz ended up breaking out the plot for the story in about two days, as opposed to the full week that it usually takes to break an episode of a series. Then they split the job, Based on the three-act structure, they took one act each to write that section of the plot, turned the script over to the cast and crew before the Christmas break in filming, and Chris Carter spent most of that Christmas break rewriting that script to make it a little more coherent as a whole. So this was a very rushed and last-minute script. Thankfully, that doesn't show in the finished product. It does mean that Chris Carter didn't have much of a Christmas break, though, considering that he not only was rewriting this script, but he was also working on the script for X-Files Fight the Future, which is the film that most of us already know would be released between seasons 5 and 6, so they were working fairly far ahead in that case. Now, in terms of the plot, now that they got confirmation of Scully's cancer, they decide to go back and revisit the MUFON group with Penny Northern and Betsy Hagopian and those characters that Scully had met in the previous season because they were reportedly dealing with similar cancers. When they get there, they discover that Penny Northern is the only surviving member of that group, and she is also dying of cancer. So Scully ends up checking herself in to get help from the same doctor, uh, Dr. Kevin Scanlon. Her mother comes to visit her, and there's a rather intense conversation between the two when her mother calls her out for not telling her about the cancer sooner than she had. But Mulder is the one who just refuses to accept, again, the scientific fact. He will not accept the idea that Scully has an inoperable and definitely fatal cancer. So he begins his own investigation with the help of Kurt Crawford, uh, another member of the MUFON group, as they're trying to save the data and the files that the MUFON group had. He also drafts the lone gunman and ends up following links back to a fertility clinic that has Scully on file, even though there's no reason for her to be there. When they check it out, they learn that Scully has been part of an egg harvesting program where they're harvesting human ova and using those to create alien-human hybrids. And Kirk Crawford is one of those hybrids, and he's working to undermine the project that the aliens have. So you could say he's something of an alien rebel, which is something long-time viewers know is a concept that's going to come back. So that is the rough outline. Now, as I said, Vince Gilligan, John Scheiben, and Frank Spotnitz each wrote one act before Chris Carter pulled it all together, and it was directed by Rob Bowman, who had some concerns about how well this episode could possibly work. Now we see Jillian Barber return as Penny Northern. This is her last appearance on the X-Files, which is not surprising as her character does not survive the episode, although obviously her career didn't end there. She later appeared in Millennium and is still working today, most recently playing Alice Adler on The Man in the High Castle. Morris Panich appears again as the gray-haired man, and 
He appears six times in the series. This is his fifth appearance. So he does have one more appearance coming from later in 1997. Now, Sean Allen plays Dr. Kevin Scanlon. He doesn't have a whole lot of credits behind his name. This is possibly his most prominent role, in fact, even though it's not a huge role in this episode. The most popular projects running the IMDb that he's been a part of are Scanner Darkly, where he just contributes one of the voices for the Scrambler suit, Twice Upon a Christmas, in which he plays Donald Trump, Breaking the Surface, the Greg Luganus story, and First to Die is an unnamed hotel manager. His most recent work is 2010. I see some three- and four-year gaps here. David Lovegren plays Kirk Crawford, the hybrid as well as all the clones. He's best known for American Mary, Cool Runnings, Antitrust, and Two for the Money. 63 credits to his name, including appearances in Stargate Atlantis, Smallville, and Psych, as well as Stargate SG-1. So in terms of the episode... As far as the ongoing plot of the series is concerned, this is monumental. This is the final confirmation that Scully has cancer. This is the episode where the people around her learn about that cancer. I don't know if there's a whole lot to discuss about it, simply because there's not a lot that's not on screen. And as I've said before, I've been assuming that the listeners are following along with the X-Files. It's relatively cheap on DVD, and it's available on Netflix in most regions. So you don't really need me to summarize the plot for you. But it was nice to see the lone gunmen take a more active role, so not just sitting in front of their computers, but actually being part of the infiltration. And it is nice to see that at least some of the aliens are not on board with the overarching plan. We saw a little bit of that in the season premiere, but now we know that's not an isolated incident. As far as the science is concerned, well, as far as Scully's cancer goes, they picked a real cancer that has these attributes. So there's no issues there. Now, when it comes to you know having it caused by that chip, specifically the removal of that chip, that's another story. It is possible. The estimate is that the average adult human has about two dozen cancerous cells in their body at any given time. Cancer is often just a result of improperly dividing cells, so everybody will have some amount of cancer in them. We don't consider it having cancer until the body's natural mechanisms for shutting those growths down and dealing with them get subverted or disabled in one way or another. So the question is, why would the absence of the chip spark this cancer? The only result I can think of is that, as part of the process, everybody gets these cancerous cells, and the body is unable to deal with them on their own. And there was something in that chip that was implanted in their necks that was providing a defense against it, and fighting that cancer on behalf of the patient. Now, in terms of the alien-human hybrids, that's a whole other ball of wax, and that's not something that we've really discussed in the science segment, since that didn't exist the last time we saw these hybrids. The question there is, how readily can we combine the two genomes and the two sets of DNA? I mean, if you look at donkeys and horses creating mules, well, yeah, they can give birth to something that lives a full life. But a mule is not a viable species. Two mules cannot produce a third mule. They are available exclusively through crossbreeding of two other species. So examples like that in nature it is very rare for members of different species to produce a viable offspring, and in fact, that is the biological definition of a species, is the individuals who can produce viable offspring. If they can't do that, they're not the same species. Now, in this case, however, you might be able to create hybrids because they're not being produced in the traditional fashion, but rather it's being done in a lab as a part of a scientific experiment. So I cannot rule out the possibility that the advanced technology of the aliens is 
capable of combining the DNA of both species, much like we are doing with GMOs today, just on a much larger scale. Now, in terms of them being virtually invincible unless you poke them in the back of the neck, that the invulnerable or invincibility is very unlikely, especially when we're talking about alien-human hybrids. And having that single vulnerability in the back of the neck, to me, only works if that's something built into the design. If the people creating these hybrids feel that they need to be able to shut down these nearly indestructible beatings, and they build in a fatal flaw, there's no reason for natural selection to produce such a specific and lethal way for these things to die when they're otherwise so impervious. But that's about all we have to say about Memento Mori. Join us again in two weeks' time when we discuss Kaddish. Thank you for listening.